This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 108, Toolbox Episode, How the Sunk Cost Fallacy Messes With You. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. I'm so glad you guys decided to spend some of your precious time with us today. It's super valuable, I realize. And so thank you for spending some time learning some uh, new, very counterintuitive financial strategies. We're glad to have you with us. And I'm also glad to have with me today our wonderful co-host, Holly Bach. Welcome, Holly. Hello, everyone. So we've got some, uh, I, got a, I guess I got a question for you today, Holly. Do you feel like you make uh, 100% of the time, you make smart, <laughs> rational decisions? What do you think? <laughs> I mean, 100% of the time. 100, we're only going up. Well, since I am a smart, rational person, <laughs> I would have to say, you know, realistically, 100% of the time is, is not accurate. Well, but you know, since we're recording this conversation, I guess. But yeah, no, exactly. I'm just <laughs> but me no, too, I, like to, I like yeah. to think that I do me as too, much yeah. as I can. I mean, don't we all? I mean, honestly, we all, why would we make a choice if we didn't feel like it was the right choice or a logical choice, right? Otherwise, you know, you'd choose something else. Um, but, you know, chances are uh, that, you know, even if you pride yourself, like I try to most of the time, on being rational, you know, a, a logical person, you're still going to fall for this sneaky sand pit, you know, little uh, snake in the grass kind of a, uh, uh, attack on your finances or your life, really, something called the sunk cost, sunk cost fallacy. And it's it's really hard to even pin down. So we thought we'd spend a, an episode unpacking this tool in the toolbox and how to overcome the sunk cost fallacy. So individuals really, you know, we all commit the sunk cost fallacy in a number of areas of our life, not just money, but, uh, you know, it's when you continue a behavior, um, you know, after you've invested some previously invested resource like time or money or effort. So it's it's after you've figured out that this, this error, you know, I guess this, this investment you've made was a mistake, and yet you continue anyway because you've already you've already come halfway, so to speak. This fallacy is really an error in thinking related to something called loss aversion, or sort of a bias toward the status quo. You could think of it that way. Uh, it can also be really be viewed as a bias toward resulting from an ongoing commitment. So and being favorable toward something because you're already knee deep in something, if that makes sense. So uh, Christopher Oliviola, uh, wow, that's a really cool Italian, Italian last name, mm-hmm. an assistant professor of Carnegie Mellon's Tepper School of Business says it this way, the sunk cost effect is the general tendency for people to continue an endeavor or continue consuming or pursuing an option uh, if they've invested time or money or some other resource into it. Okay, okay. So those are the you know dictionary definitions. And so, but roughly translated, this is really just kind of the, the tendency of people to continue doing what they've always done just because they've already poured money or time into it and they're not accounting for really 
how these outcomes have actually played out of of that same action. Right. So regardless of whether it's kind of had good or bad outcomes, they're just going to continue along in it because it's what they've always done. So it's kind yep. of like maintaining a status quo of sorts. Um, and perhaps maybe a, kind of a, a common phrase people have heard, and it's one application of many of kind of the sunk cost fallacy, um, is you know people say throwing good money after bad. Mm. Um, yep. That is a sunk cost fallacy. Um, tendency, I guess you could say. That's a good way to kind of coin the phrase there, Holly. I like that. So if you really take a moment, listeners, you can probably think of all sorts of situations where you might make these irrational decisions because of this sunk cost bias or sunk cost fallacy. For example, you might say something like, hey, you know what? Um, I'm going to keep watching this terrible movie because I've already invested an hour of my time into it already. I might as well see how it ends. Right. I've done that. I've, yeah, I've been, me too. I've been sitting in the movie theater, and you're like, this is a bad movie. Like, Heck, this movie's not good. I'm like, but binges, I spent yeah. this much. I was like, well, you know, sometimes they turn around halfway through, right? And yeah. then you stick it out, and you're like, nope, that was that was now not only a waste of money, but now it was a waste of my time, too. Yeah, I want, so. I want my two hours of my life back. Exactly. exactly. Wow. So the, and that we're reading a terrible book. Maybe you're 100 page in, uh, pages into it. Or maybe, you know, man, I'm guilty of this, you know, continuing that binge of Netflix or whatever that's, you know, the series is just going downhill, downhill, and you're just like, I got to figure out how these folks end their, end their story. Mm-hmm. It, it really doesn't matter that you've invested time or whatever into, say, some media you're consuming. If you don't like the movie, literally, you know, recapture the one hour you have left and just go have some, go have a coffee or some ice cream or something instead. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. I mean, I bought, you know, another example is I bought tonight's concert ticket, but even though there's a blizzard, I'm going anyway, so I don't yeah. waste my money. <laughs> I'm going to risk my life in a blizzard right. just because mm-hmm. I already bought these concert tickets. Huge. So if, you know, if the costs outweigh the benefits, the extra costs incurred being inconvenience, time, or maybe even more money are held kind of in a different mental account than the one associated with the actual ticket transaction. Wow, that's huge. Um, and that's according to the Journal of Behavioral Decision Making. So they were actually able to do some research into like why this dynamic happens. And mm. it again, it's, it's because we're almost kind of holding... Um, these two different things and completely we're separating them mm-hmm. where we're saying, okay, well, this is how much the ticket cost and I'm not going to take into account or lump it in with the cost of my time now to go to it and the gas you're going to yeah. spend to get there most likely mm-hmm. or your train ticket, you know, whatever it may be, um, your mode of transportation. And so you're, you're, you're separating them so that you can convince yourself to still go. Wow. And that's just kind of crazy. So, you know, sure, you did spend the money already, but you can't get it back. So if you aren't going to have a good time at the concert or potentially risk your life trying to get there, you know, you only potentially make your life worse by going. Mm-hmm. And you need to have that <laughs> in mind. Yeah, so good. And and one that really hits home for a lot of folks is the quote or phrase or idea you know what, I might as well continue dating this person, even though they're bad for me, because I've just, you know what, I've already invested so much time with them or in them. You know, unfortunately, even that's too common. Uh, We see it all the time. If you've put a lot of emotional investment into a relationship, and maybe it's a a spouse or a a dating relationship or a friend or an employee or, or whatnot, it can be really challenging to break that relationship. Um, you know, but it can be really true of any relationship, not just romantic ones. You know, maybe good friends are no longer a positive influence on you, even though years of emotional investment have been poured 
into that person, uh, it only just makes it more uncomfortable when you cut your ties, but you might have to for the benefit of your future, right? Mm -hmm. So how does this play? Let's get into finance. So this is a financial podcast. So with finances, the sunk cost fallacy is, I'm I'm telling you, it's real. It's straight Mm -hmm. up real. Uh, You cannot get your money back if you lost it by spending more money. Let me say that again. That's maybe the key sentence of the whole podcast episode. You cannot get your money back that you lost by spending more money. You're just going to make the problem worse. And i.e., that's that example I was talking about before, that phrase, throwing good money after bad. Mm-hmm. That's where you look at money that's been lost and you say, oh, well, no, 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 it's okay. This this particular investment that's going to bounce back. So actually what I'm going to do is put more money into it yep. Yep. <laughs> um, so that when it comes back, it will make up what I lost is, is, the, pro- is the thought, the erroneous thought process and, yep. and what kind of made that phrase come about of throwing good money after bad. We see this so often. I see this so often, guys, in our conversations with clients. I'm sure you do too, Holly. The, the the Titanic that runs into the iceberg can't just put itself in reverse and undo the damage, right? It's already going down, right? So, you know, if I make a bad financial decision in February, I can't reverse that problem in April. The job is done. You know, that's, you know, you cannot undo that that damage so to speak. So, many people think that like you said, if if they, you know, just pour more into it, if they found a loser in their stock portfolio, they feel like they just have to double down on it to overcome that 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 loser stock to hope it comes back. Uh, a better path would be to find the winners and don't suffer the lo- losers. Just move on. Get over it. Yeah, mm-hmm. move on. So um, speaking of, how does this work in kind of investment portfolios, that sort of thing, Holly, that you've seen? Yeah. So um, kind of one example that we're going to kind of share a couple with you guys here is people who buy and hold to their investments when the market drops, hoping it will, quote unquote, recover. So let's just say that you buy $1,000 worth of company X's stock in January. In December, its value has dropped to 100 even though the overall market and similar stocks have risen in value over the years. So instead of selling the stock and putting that $100 that you have left <laughs> into a different stock that's likely to rise in value, you actually hold on to, to company X's stock, which in the coming months becomes worthless. So that's mm, the sunk yeah. cost fallacy where right. you look at it, you're like, well, I started with 1000 I'm down to 100 but again, I think... It's gonna, you know, make a yeah. comeback. Or I've already lost nine hundred. What's another hundred to lose? Um, how about I just stick it out and see what happens? Whereas, really, if you're thinking rationally, you'd be thinking, okay, well, my chances are probably greater. I'm gonna lose this last hundred, so I'd probably be better off if I just took that hundred and put it into something better, rather yeah. than kind of sticking out to see what happens. So you're saying there's no recovering, basically, is what you're saying? Again, yeah, just like you said, Mark. You know, there's no recovering. It's gone. Um, I, you know, another example, if the market drops 50% this year, you'd see your $1,000 drop to 500, right? Mm, so yeah. market drops 50%, thousand goes down to 500. If it recovered the 50% the following year, you'd still only have $750, not the thousand that you started with. Mm. So you would actually need a 100% return just to recover that same 500 you lost. We've talked about this in other episodes that you actually need a higher rate of return to make up a loss than the quote unquote loss percentages. It's not a perfect mm-hmm. 
equitable thing. So we know according to Dalbar, um, we've shared their independent study a number of times that the average investor's actual return in the stock market over the last 20 years has been about 3.8%. Um, according to our calculations, that means it would take about 19 years for your money to be back and whole again. So if you experience that 50 percent loss, it's going to take you 19 years to get back wow. um, that money that you lost. So once you lose half of your money in one market drop, you have 19 years to wait. <laughs> I wow. mean that's 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 crazy. And even then, you don't actually ever recover because you've lost now 19 years that you can never get back. That should have been positive growth yeah. versus just making up a loss. And are we are we overemphasizing the point when we say 50% market drops? I mean, do those ever happen? Uh, are those just mythical and kind of overemphasizing? Or is there some history and data to back this up? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, according to the 100-year Dow chart on macro trends since 1929, we've had three market crashes where the Dow took between 16 and 25 years to return to pre-crash levels. Wow. So that lines up with Dalbar, the Dalbar study. I mean, it's just two different ways of saying the same thing hmm. of what are people's actual returns and how long is it taking people to recover losses? I mean, it's yeah. kind of the same thing, but their their numbers are lining up with each other, which is an important thing to keep in mind because people, I'm sure, I know that we probably still have listeners that listen to that percentage and scoff, you yeah. know, the 3.8% 3 and are like, yeah, you guys keep bringing that up. You keep mentioning it, but it's not real. My That's 401k not statement says 9% year-to-date or 12% year-to-date. Yeah. Exactly. But we now have two different studies that are saying the same thing, just two different ways. Exactly. That that really is truly the case. It's taking people 16 to 25 years to make up losses that they're experiencing in the market. Now, what about something maybe less severe than a 50% Great Recession-style market just vaporization. What about maybe more modest, like 10%? Yeah. So we've already had that several times this year, haven't we? I mean, the mm. facts still remain the same, even if it's a more modest drop. It would take a larger return. It's still the case. It's going to take a larger return to break even in terms of money. Uh, but nothing can ever get those days, months, years back that you lost while waiting for your money to recover. So that's why this, like, we are so adamant about avoiding average rates of return and chasing those average rates of return because averages ignore the sunk cost problem. Wow. Yeah. They ignore volatility in your portfolio or, you know, the siphoning away of time and money from you. Um, which is, you know, obviously what matters here. So when, you know, average mainstream financial media say, don't look at your 401k, they're falling for the sunk cost fallacy. They're just saying, oh, don't don't look at it. Don't worry about it. It's all going to work out. Look at it when you're, you know, 50, 60, when you're about to retire. And that's the only time you really need to look at your 401k. Um, you know, maybe there's also some willful naivety there as well. But mm. um, And for some more information on this, you can also check out our episode 51 we've already recorded where we kind of further expose the myth of buy and hold. Um, but that's just kind of one application in people's financial lives where um, we see, see them falling for this sunk cost fallacy. Big time. Yeah. So Mark, um, what's a second one, another place where yeah. we see this in people's financial lives? Well, you're you're on the right track here. So we also see it a lot of times with people who think taxes uh, are going to be risen in the future across the country and in their own financial life. And yet, and yet, and yet, <laughs> they still contribute to their 401ks and IRAs and other tax postponed 
retirement accounts. So guys, gang, if you if you believe that taxes are going to go even just a, a 1% increase uh, higher than they are today, but if you continue to contribute to your 401k today or your IRA today, guys, you are falling for the sunk cost fallacy. So even if taxes went up just 1% higher than they are today, literally the math works out. It would be more economically beneficial for you to immediately stop putting money into a 401k and instead put money into an after-tax environment like a Roth IRA or a a life insurance policy. I mean, the the math just works out in our favor that way. Well, and Mark, don't we actually actually know now that taxes are going yeah. up? I mean, don't yeah. we actually even have a date? Yeah, d- for December it? 31st, 2025. Yeah, yeah it's on the we, books. We know taxes are going up. Yeah. So they're going up. Yeah. Yeah. So it no longer makes sense. Not th- not in, not in the land of the logic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Just want yeah. to make sure. <laughs> but often I I feel like we live in this sp- and you'll talk I I think we'll spend some more time talking about cognitive dissonance, but uh, I just think there's a lot of cognitive distance. We don't ever put two and two together. I'm guilty of this, just like we all are. We're all human here. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What about, uh, so a big one we come across is uh, surrender charges. Holly, tell us a, a little bit about universal life, variable annuities, and other things that carry with it surrender charges that we're halfway through. Yeah, so this one's kind of a very specific application um, of the sunk cost fallacy, but it's also very poignant, you know, in our conversations um, with people that already have, you know, a universal life policy or a very variable annuity or something like that. Um, and it's and it's this dynamic where people are, are holding on to and they're keeping these, um, you know, kind of bad universal life or annuities because it imposes a stiff surrender charge to get rid of. So um, meaning, you know, bad just meaning it's not properly designed. It's Mm -hmm. not actually in line with what people are hoping or or Mm -hmm. wanting their money to accomplish for them. So we can identify that error and say, hey, this universal life policy isn't actually going to help you achieve these goals you've told us are important to you. What if we make a change? And they're like, oh, well, what's that going to cost me (laughs) to make a change? And well, the cost is um, a surrender charge. And so they say, well, actually, no, I'll hold on to it because of that surrender charge. But this is a stereotypical example of sunk cost fallacy. So let's just imagine you were sold a $100,000 variable annuity with a 10-year surrender period. So the agent who sold you the contract collected a 10% commission or $10,000. So where do you think this money came from? Well, you got it, your pocket. So those surrender (laughs) charges are locked in and can't be removed or recovered. So once the universal life insurance expenses have been deducted and you went through the month, you didn't pass away, congratulations. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know, the expense of covering your life insurance in February is now gone, but now you're in March. And oh, thank God you're still breathing, you're still around, but the price of covering your risk of dying in February has been consumed by the universal life policy expenses. And that will continue for as long as you have surrender charges and for some universal life or variable universal life policies, that could be as many as 12 or even 16 or 20 years for some of these products. So this is kind of the important point here. To persist with paying more costs on the policy because you've already paid last year's fees is an example of the sunk cost fallacy. 
So the only way to stop the surrender charges is to just pay them to get out of the policy in the first place. Otherwise, this whole dynamic is just going to keep playing out and keep happening. So even at a reduced rate, would you want to continue to pay a fee? Yeah, you know, when we look at universal life policy projections of cash value, and in some cases, variable annuities too, we can sort of see this play out. We've got this uh, uh, this massive surrender charge boulder in the way of getting out of this universal life policy. And yet, as we look into the future, the projected cash value of universal life insurance can literally show us that guaranteed or even with some you know market returns baked in, we will run out of cash. We will literally run out of all the money. So that's a 100% surrender charge in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've lost 20 years or 15 or 50 years or however long it took to, to fa- finally have that universal life fall off the wagon. Uh, but yet it's so hard to, to pay 5% surrender charge or 10% surrender charges because it's just a big boulder in our way. And yet we see the future with like a train coming right at us and we discount that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is there is there sort of a help us understand this problem a bit more of surrender charges. Like, you know, do you have like a metaphor or anything like that? You could help us put this, take this down the ladder a little bit into our real lives. Yeah. So you can kind of think of surrender charges, you know, this way. So let's say each month your town holds a fun, you know, antique flea market set up downtown. So you drive downtown ready to pick through old lamps, croquet sets. And even though there are plenty, there's plenty of free parking spots across the street, each month to get the best spot, you park in an illegal parking spot close to the flea market, okay? So the first month, you walk to your car and you find a $1,000 ticket. And, well, that does not feel good, right? Um, So attached to your parking ticket, though, there's a note from, uh, you know, the, the cop who put the ticket there saying that if you parked in that illegal parking spot next month, though, you would still pay another parking ticket, but that parking fee was actually going to be coming down. And next month, you'd only owe $900 instead of $1,000. What a deal. So, I mean, mine as well. So, of course, you parked there the following month. And wouldn't you know, another ticket of $900 was on your windshield and another nice note saying that your bill would be $800 um, unless you parked for free in the lot across the street. So would you continue to park in that illegal parking spot month after month just because you see that, oh, it's getting cheaper and cheaper? Yeah. (laughs) So the sunk cost fallacy would kind of have you say to yourself, well, I've already spent $1,900. I'm already this far into it. I've already sunk this much money into this. I might as well spend the remaining surrender charges so I can start parking in this parking spot for free. Even if the (laughs) price kept dropping to, you know, zero dollars after two months, you'd still have $3,600 in parking tickets to pay before you got down to zero. So wouldn't you rather not even pay the $3,600 and just kind of walk away at that point or just pay the first thousand and then start um, parking in the free spot after that versus continuing to pay those fees, even if they're getting quote unquote lesser. So the truth is, is that ticket is never going to go down to zero and there's no reason to keep inflicting pain on yourself just because you've already experienced some small 
amount of pain. Sure, yeah, so just like the flea market, if I'm two years into my surrender charges of my universal life or variable product or whatever, uh, and I can see that I've got another five, 10, 20 years to go, even if it's a decreasing fee schedule, you know, in your example, we weren't even halfway through the fees. You know, you'd pay yeah. 1900 bucks. We have another 3600 if you do the math there before we get down to $0. And like you say, it's likely, unlikely that parking tickets go down to zero. And crucially, it's unlikely that your universal life policy charges and insurance costs go down to zero either. In fact, they increase as you age. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're looking at the same thing. The sunk cost fallacy is right there before us. Wow. Yep. Great, great stuff. And then, Mark, what's our uh, fourth example here? Okay, so finally, working with a bad advisor. I see this a lot with people who have a, quote, financial advisor, end quote, who's actually some, maybe some old friend from college or a cousin who happens to be in the financial services industry. You know, I even know people who met, you know, maybe a futures trader, for example, at their church and takes all their financial planning advice from them. Even though, you know, it's super fun and, and kind of speculative and sometimes lucrative, uh, you really should not build your entire financial plan around a day trader or someone who's just specifically focused on, oh, I don't know, corn or oil futures, that sort of thing. Maybe you're working with this advisor who may or may not know what he or she is doing. You know, you're simply working with this person because of your initial connection with them. Maybe you're doing uh, okay with them, but maybe you feel as if they're doing sort of a mediocre job with your financial plan, your investments, and you might even have maybe a suspicion that you might be, oh, charged more than you should be uh, in fees and so, and so forth. Uh, and, and it's getting worse um, as you see the performance diminish with other options you could have out there in the marketplace of financial planning. But but you don't want to admit it to yourself that your old friend, um, you know, that uh, or to your old friend that a change needs to happen here. Even though it's literally taking money out of your pocket, your friend is literally taking out money out of your pocket. Uh, you don't want to make that change. There's the sunk cost right there. If your friend was constantly actually taking money out of your wallet. Uh, when you went out to eat with them, you know, pretty soon you'd find another friend to hang out with, I would hope. Mm -hmm. uh, if I kept going to a dentist, let's say you kept messing up my teeth, but I didn't want to change dentists just because I'd have to, you know, start all over again with x-rays and so forth. That's another version of that same thing, the sunk cost fallacy. Sticking with an old advisor, whether an old friend or not, just because that's who you already spent so much time and money with, that's another version of that same thing, the sunk cost fallacy. Okay, so here's a bit of good news. We've explained some examples of how we've seen it show up in our clients' lives. Now, one thing that I can tell you is whole life insurance, no matter how it's designed, you know, no matter how it was put together, you can see, literally see the expenses on the whole life policy in advance before you sign up. So there's no surprise expenses. You know, so you can look at it and consider those expenses. You know, you're not going to be unexpectedly driving your Titanic into an iceberg with a whole life policy. You know, there's no surrender charges in a whole life policy at all. Uh, what you see is what you get. And we at Lake Growth Financial Services really try to make things as transparent as possible as to what are the costs. So go back and, in fact, go back and look at episode 36. We did a podcast titled, What Does That Truly Cost? Uh, just to make it super clear, what you're getting into. So there's never ever regret or, you know, uh, falling into the problem of the sunk cost status quo. Mm -hmm. And so to kind of sum it all up, sticking with the plan, even when it no longer serves you, could be an attempt to correct, you know, cognitive dissonance, which you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, Mark, which is that mental disconnect between paying for something and not getting the expected return on investment. 
could also be a knee-jerk reaction to regret, could be an attempt to convince others or probably more likely ourselves that we're not wasteful or we didn't make a bad decision. So the real problem is the problem of inertia and the problem of admitting that I am wrong or I did something wrong. I'm much more likely to continue kind of in willful blindness and ignorance or maybe not so ignorant mm-hmm. ignorance, um, or hoping to somehow, you know, that it's all just going to work out. But psychologists tell us th- that it is our own mind tricking itself. Mm, yeah. So think about it. You know, what is the cost of inaction? We as humans tend to overemphasize the risks of doing something new and doing something wrong. And we value the risk, which is a truly a risk of staying where we are. Um, and so we're not always taking into account, okay, well, there's also a risk and, and a cost to staying in, in, the, in that same mm-hmm. rut um, yeah. and in action, like you said. So uh, we, and we actually talked about this in episode 99. So feel free to go back and check that out where we talk about kind of that cost of inaction. Okay. So how, how do we free ourselves from the sunk cost fallacy? So we figured out how it messes with us. <laughs> what are some <laughs> ways we can literally take this to heart and action? Uh, okay. So, you know, we fall victim to the sunk cost fallacy because we're emotionally invested. Okay, it's the emotion that really catches us here in whatever money or time or other resource we've already committed to in the past. And so the most important step to freeing yourself from making a poor decision based on the sunk cost or uh, familiarity bias is to recognize, to simply just step aside and look outside yourself and recognize that logical fallacy. Simply being aware of it will help you tremendously in making more rational decisions in the future. So one way to do that um, is to literally write out a pro and con list. And, uh, you know, if that, if that only, you know, if, if the only pro to continuing to do something, a choice you've made, is to just feel better about the emotional investment you've made in the past, then, hey, that's a clear sign that maybe you should take action and get out of that mess that you're in and move on to something else. Mm-hmm. Another um, kind of exercise you can do is go through our fear setting exercise that, um, again, we described in episode 99. So, um Feel free to listen to that episode again. You can go through that exercise, great exercise in helping you kind of figure out, okay, am I staying in this because of some sort of sunk cost fallacy or am I staying in this because it truly is benefiting me? It's good for me. Um, And in those show notes for that episode, there's a worksheet that goes along with that exercise. So um, check that out, download it, and um, that can help you as well. I Honestly, Holly, I've used that worksheet myself uh, in my family and our business maybe half a dozen times since we recorded that episode. It's it's really come up quite a bit in mentoring others. I mean, it's a really cool little thought experiment and fairly simple and quick to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, the best way to avoid the sunk cost trap is to set goals in advance. Make these the smarter type goals, meaning specific, uh, measurable, uh, time bound, etc. You know, you can look up on Google what is the smarter goals uh, framework. Uh, And be specific about what costs you are willing and not willing to incur to get to what you want. I mean, reminding yourself that nothing's free, but is the cost worth it? Uh, And so we do suggest that you go so far as maybe to just pretend that you've dropped in on your current life without warning. Maybe like an alien, you've dropped into your existing life and you look at it from an outsider's perspective. It might be kind of weird, a little uh, schizophrenic maybe to to look (laughs) at this and consider, you know, uh, seeing your history with such discontinuity. But 
I think you could really find some interesting objective perspectives, even just as a thought exercise, even without necessarily having to change yourself to just look at yourself afresh and say, is this still a decision I'd make today if I was brand new in my own story, in my own life? So if on reflection, it turned out that your choice for the investment or that relationship or whatever uh, was a complete waste of time, wouldn't you want somebody to tell you about that now and avoid 20 years of more loss, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Any final thoughts on that concept, Holly? Yeah, I guess just that um, it really is everywhere. You know, we're talking about finances specifically in this episode, but it has um, applications and even implications for your life in in all areas. And so um, I've been aware of this as we've been, you know, kind of coming up to recording this episode and prepping for it. And I've already seen it pop up a handful of times now that it's like more fresh on my mind. I mean, I'd heard a sunk cost fallacy before. I knew what it was, but um, you always think about it a little bit more when it's when it's this fresh. And so um, just encourage you all to, to kind of over the next couple of days and weeks, you know, try and be more mindful of it. And when you see yourself kind of making like a, a weird statement or something, you're like, wait, this doesn't seem super logical. Like think, is this the sunk cost fallacy at work? Um, and try and see it and identify it in your lives. It's If yeah. nothing else, it's just kind of fun to be like, oh, wow, okay, I'm not making a rational decision. <laughs> I am basing this off, you know, just this, it's kind of emotional. It's really kind of an emotional, um, uh, I guess, factor that that's driving this sunk cost fallacy. So maybe um, being able to identify it is the first step in being able to do something about it. Yeah. So. With personal finance, that you always have to remember it's personal first, you know. Mm-hmm. So the next time, guys, you find yourself halfway through a bowl of salami flavored ice cream, put it down and just go get yourself some co- chocolate chip cookie dough or mint chip. All right. So thank you all for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join the financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.